this sermon, uh, God's umpire. God's umpire. You'll see why here in just a minute. But if you'll take your Bibles and make your way to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 12. We'll back up to 12, and we'll read down through verse 17. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, and here's what we're supposed to wear, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And as I said, I believe that's a, a bit of an explanation of long-suffering, right? Because if you're going to be long-suffering, you're not going to do that without being a fast forgiver. Amen? But above all these things, in other words, what completes this outfit, uh, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And perfection there. Uh, is carries with it the idea of completeness. So th this, this belt of love completes the outfit. It ties it all together. Now to our verses for today. And let or allow the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. May God add His blessing to this reading of His word, and may He apply it specifically and directly to our own hearts today. So I want to talk to you today about God's umpire. How many of you ever heard this term? It'll come up. I think I got a picture here for you. How many of you ever heard of this term, the Pax Romana? Um, Jack, does that sound familiar? Caesar Augustus and the Pax Romana? Yeah, that comes from their school timeline song. So that my children are learning that. Does anyone know what that word? That's Latin, obviously. Uh, does anyone know what the what Pax Romana means? What's that? Yeah, the Roman peace. Pax is peace. Romana is Roman. So literally, that means the Roman peace. Now, this is interesting. This period that they call the Pax Romana began in 27 B.C. Now, what, is, what did B.C. stand for? Yeah, and it ended around 180 A.D. Um, and by the way, the Romans were very proud of this. Uh, this, this period of peace. But if it began B.C. and ended in A.D., what does that tell you? Who was born in the middle of this Roman peace? Yeah, Jesus was born, you know, about a third of the way through this Pax Romana, this Roman peace. Um, but he claimed and brought a different kind of peace, didn't he? The peace that he brings is true, and it's a lasting peace, and it's very different from the Roman peace, because as I said, the Pax Romana ended in 180 A.D., and it was over, and it was over quickly. Um, I've heard that in the last thousand years, we've had over 8,000 um, peace treaties with very little peace. 
Someone defined peace as a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation. That's Webster's definition. However, this word for peace here, if you want the biblical word, it's irene, and it's a medical term. It literally means to set a broken bone. So you can imagine a bone that's badly broken, and a, and a physician comes and he sets it back into place. So it has the idea of restoration and healing. So when you think of peace, what, come, what pictures come to your mind? Probably not a broke, badly broken bone, <laughs> but that's really what this word means. When we think of peace, what, what picture, if you were to paint a picture in your mind right now of peace, what would that look like? Huh? Calmly. Just calmness. Would it be an outdoor picture or an indoor picture? Outdoors, somewhere out in nature, everything's nice and calm. Minimal people. Yeah. What else? What would you... Tranquil. Yeah. They, they, were, um, they had a contest one time about this very thing. They wanted people to actually paint a picture just entitled Peace. And a lot of those pictures came back as you described. But oddly enough, the one that won the contest was this picture of this raging waterfall. Think, think Niagara Falls. This is thundering, right? Uh, violent water just gushing and smashing into the rocks below. And in the forefront of that, alongside of this falls, was this tree growing in the rocks. And there's a branch that comes out. And on that branch is a nest with some baby birds in it, in the midst of all this violence. And the mother is sitting there with those birds, and those baby birds are completely at peace. And that, of all of the pieces of art that were painted, that one, because peace was not uh, reliant upon the surroundings, because the surroundings were anything but peaceful. How many ever been to Niagara Falls? It's, it's actually terrifying. And, and awe-inspiring, but it's anything but peaceful. But the reason that painting won is it wasn't the presence of the turbulence, but the presence of the mother, the presence of that mother bird and the confidence that those babies had in it. And that's the kind of peace that we're going to look at this morning. So there's a difference between the peace that the world brings and the peace of God. And now Paul's going to take us through an understanding of God's peace. Don't miss this now as the fruit or the result of this love that he talks about in verse number 15. So keep your Bibles open as we walk through that because you're, you're going to want to go back and look at some of this. So the first, first of all here, you notice these all start with P and it just fell out that way. Um, is first of all is the presumption of peace in verse 15. So if you look there in verse 15, it says it starts with and. So by the, for you English grammar, grammarians, what is what kind of word is and? What is it, Beth? A conjunction. And what does a conjunction do? Now those of you that watch cartoons on Saturdays when you were a kid, see Tom's nodding. Do you remember the song Conjunction Junction? That's terrible, folks. <laughs> see Mark's back there grooming to. What was, what was that called? Schoolhouse Rock, right? 
conjunction, junction, what's your, it's, what's your function? And it, what is it? It's joining up phrases and words and ideas. So this and is connected to what just came before it. So take a quick peek at that, if you would. Back up to verse number 14. It says, but, which is another conjunction, above all these things, put on what, church? Love. That's what, which is the bond of perfection. And so we, this completeness, it completes, it completes your life. How many of you know um, that if we learn to love the way Jesus loved, most of our, of our relationship issues are going to be solved overnight. Do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what God's saying here. So once, once we're putting on this love, once we're learning to live and love and lead like the Lord Jesus, which is the definition of a disciple, by the way, once this is happening, Paul is saying, now here's the deal. Here's how you maintain living your life out Loving the people God puts in your life like Jesus would. By the way, was Jesus always nice? <laughs> no, ask those people he drove out of the temple. And, and ask any Pharisee or Sadducee, they would give you a very different opinion of Jesus. But, uh, but Jesus loved, didn't he? Um, so, so it's not this squishy doormat kind of a, of, of a love. But it is a love that puts others before yourself and puts the glory of God definitely first. So this whole idea here is that when love is, when we're loving the way we're supposed to love, when we're, let, when we're, when we're wearing love, the love, agape love of Christ, here's how you maintain that. Here's how you keep that going. Here's how that grows in your life. He says this, and let, and let, verse 15, the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word let means is another word for allow. But here's the idea. I call this the presumption of peace. That's the first P in there. The presumption of peace. Because Paul presumes you already got this peace. So, so follow the logic here. If you're, if you're wearing love, if you're putting on the love of Christ, if you're forgiving everyone that you have an issue with the way that Christ forgave you, if you're doing all of that, what are you gonna, what's going to be the result of that? Peace. Right? You're going to have this unity. Do you think they had unity in a, in a little Colossian church with these false teachers? No, that, the false teaching was tearing the church apart. So Paul says this unity comes and you have peace. So Paul presumes that they have this peace and he admonishes them to allow, listen, listen, to allow this peace to rule like an umpire in their life. To rule like an umpire in her life. To use this peace to call balls and strikes. To call in and out. And we'll get an idea of what that looks like here. Perfection or this completion. Perfection presumes and precedes, precedes peace. This being perfected in the love of Christ, it precedes the peace. When, when you love like Jesus, in other words this way, if you don't love like Jesus, you're not going to have his peace. And Paul's presuming they got his peace. He's saying, look, you're, you're wearing this love, and as a result, you're going to have peace. So let use this peace to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it will. Let it rule like an umpire. Completeness creates calmness. Think about it. The stuff that we fight over, what are we after? We're after, we're after tranquility. We're after peace. And we're willing to go to war to get it. 
Is that silly? Right? What a crazy thought. We want peace and we're willing to fight over it. Um, so this idea is that Paul presumes they've already got this. If you've got, if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you got peace. So that's the first thing. The second one is a provision of peace in verse 15. Notice what it says there again. And let the peace of who? God. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Um, here's the reality. Saints, and only saints, have peace with God, and therefore they possess the peace of God. Did we, did we get that? Until you have peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. And here's the reality. Let's just, call, let's just be honest this morning. We, we want the peace of God, but we're not so excited about peace with God. In other words, we want to add God to our lives as long as He doesn't mess up our plans. Right? And a lot of people feel that way. That's how we live, actually, honestly, in our day-to-day -day lives. But this peace, the provision of this peace has to come from God. And it's only when we're at peace with God that we enjoy the peace of God. How many of you have read the scriptures and have seen where David writes about the time that he did not have peace with God when he was, when he was uh, con confirmed in his sin and running away from the Lord? We see those psalms that he writes. He said, I laid upon my bed and I wept all night long and my bones you know, just became like jelly within me. I was... He describes this misery. What happened? The peace of God left him. Because he wasn't living. He wasn't enjoying peace with God. And he certainly didn't have the peace of God. But here's the reality. Look at the next one. It's the presiding peace. So this peace comes through God. But look at the presiding peace. It says, let or allow the peace of God to, what's that word? Rule. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word rule um, means to govern, to direct, or to call the shots. It's the word we have for umpire. Um, it's, a, it's a word, what does an umpire do? Think of a baseball game. Yeah, they call balls and strikes. They call safe or out. They, they, do they not govern the game? And what they say, what? Goes. I, now I'm, I'm just going to, I hate that they brought instant replay into baseball. It was bad enough they brought it into football. That I get. They play a lot fewer games than they do in baseball. So, but when they, but they, when they brought instant replay into baseball, uh, I really felt that was a step backwards. Of course, the thing that happened recently in Atlanta uh, with that blown call at home plate, it was so obvious in the instant replay that that player never touched home plate. Um, but you saw the displeasure of the crowd. Boy, they were not happy with that umpire when they showed that close-up replay on the screens because it was obvious that he had blown the call. Right? But the idea here is that God's peace calls you safe or out, calls balls and strikes in your life. It rules. Does the peace of God rule you? Just this last week, um, we had a mock trial event with my class at school. 
and uh, it's called mock trial because it's obviously not the real thing, but we go to a real courtroom. We went to the Houston, County, Houston State Court down in Houston County, have a real judge in a real courtroom, and we tried this case. And my students, I had trained them to listen for certain issues, and, and several times during that trial, they objected to the course of questioning from their opposing counsel. And the judge has the responsibility to rule on their objection. And she can rule overruled, in other words, negatively, or she can rule sustained, in other words, I agree with you, a positive ruling. On that, the, 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 the judge governs or directs the trial. And here's the reality of the Scripture. The peace of God's supposed to do that in your own life. How's that work out? What's the YBH of that? Well, jot this down in your outline, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. It'll come up here on the screen. This is where Paul gives us a little bit of clue of how to do this. Says this, he's, Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now that word carnal means fleshly. In other words, it's not what you can do in the flesh. But and this is funny contrast. He says, but mighty. In other words, you're weak, right? Your flesh is weak, but but these weapons that we have, they're strong. They're mighty in God. So it's not carnal. It's spiritual, and they're powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. Next verse. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, um, bringing every what, church? Thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now look at this last verse. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What is Paul saying here? You take your thoughts and you take them captive. And you, you present them in handcuffs to Christ to say, Safer out. What is it, Lord? Is this right or is this wrong? Now, how many of us already know before we do something whether it's right or wrong? Yeah. Don't we? But you know what? There's sometimes you're not sure. You're not sure. Satan is a deceiver. He comes as an angel of what? Light. Light. Enlightenment. And that's what was happening in this Colossian church. They were, they were getting stuff said to them that sort of sounded right, but there was a part of it that just didn't, didn't feel right. And they were getting confused, and then there was disunity brewing. We got to take those thoughts captive. And we got to pull them back in. And we say, say Christ has to, has to be the one to call the balls and strikes. So, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, that's the YBH in verse 16. What does it say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that, that verse goes on to say, um, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Are we allowing the word, is, is, is the word of Christ at home in our hearts? That's what the word dwell means. It's God's word at home in your heart. Do y'all remember what David said in Psalm 119.11? Your word have I What? Hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let the word allow. Make space for the word of Christ to, to, to be at home in your heart. Is it? Let, let, let me put it this way. Um, 
when you come up, when you're tempted to get angry, when you're tempted to get angry, what's coming to your mind? Is Scripture coming to your mind? I tell you what, when I feel my blood pressure rising, I have learned to rehearse what I know about anger in the Bible. One of my verses is a, is a verse in James, the wrath of God worketh not the right, uh, the, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In other words, Paul, you getting mad is not is going to produce nothing that looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. Your anger is not going to bring about good. Right? Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to bitterness. Right? So when we fall into those temptation areas, and by the way, they're, they're, they're designed in your life, we need to make sure that there's something inside that we can pull up without grabbing your phone and looking it up. So what do you have to do for that to happen? What is it, Courtney? You've got to memorize Scripture. Do we do that anymore? Do we memorize Scripture anymore? Well, we need to be. And we need to be memorizing a lot of it. If you struggle in a particular area, and, and Paul talks about the sin that, that so easily trips us up. Amen, church? You all know about that? And you, I bet you right now you know that sin that messes you up. Boy, get, get a concordance or, or go look up some verses that deal with that sin. If it's anger, go look up... Three, four, five, six, a dozen verses on anger and memorize them. And then the peace of God gets real. You take those thoughts captive, you bring them to Christ, and you let Jesus make the decision. Memorizing and meditating on God's word is vital. Because when we sin, it is because the peace, listen to me, when we sin, it's because the peace of God is not ruling. The peace of God is not presiding and governing my will. Is that true or not? And that brings me to the next point, which is the place of peace. Back in verse 15, the place of peace. Notice what it says in your copy of God's Word. And let the peace of God rule where, church? In your hearts. In your hearts. I believe specifically that is where the material and immaterial meet. There are a lot of different words for heart and a lot of different meanings, so you've got to be careful with that. You've got to let the context determine it. But it's talking about peace. What is peace if we were to define it? I mean, what is it? it? What kind of a thing is peace? You say, who said, I heard emotion. It's a feeling, isn't it? It's a sensation. And we know what that's like, don't we? Here's the reality. I think when he says the heart, the difference between the, the heart and the soul, but I think it's where those things come together, where the spirit and the, and the flesh of the body come together, we have this in-between space. And I think it's called the soul. It's the difference between someone's brain and your mind. It says we have the mind of Christ. We don't have the brain of Christ. You've got your own brain. But we have the what? Mind of Christ. And that thing's eternal, isn't it? That's part of 
the part of our core that's going to live forever. It's the intellect, the emotion, and the will. And, and this, this peace needs to rule where? In our hearts. It's so important to understand that. In your heart of hearts, down in the core of who you are. Here's the problem with that, though. And it's just my opinion. As I was pouring over this text, it hit me. The church of today, Christians of today, or people who claim Christ today, have made peace with having no peace. We're at peace without having the peace of Christ. The peace, the peace of Christ, we're so used to living without it that we, we don't desire it like we should. And it doesn't rule. It doesn't preside. Because when I sin, I'm not letting that peace rule. Even in Colossians 1.27 says, what did Paul say? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that what he says? Here's that mystery, <laughs> that Christ is in you, and that gives you the confidence of glory, the confidence that God's going to do something in your life to bring glory to himself in you. Ephesians 3.17, same guy, Paul says, that Christ may dwell where, church? In your hearts through faith, and that you be rooted and grounded in, look at this word, love, that same word agape, right? So you see, Paul's consistent in his teaching here that Christ dwells in our hearts. And there's a broader application here. That's where the ruling takes place. But the broader application here is found at the end of verse 15 where he says this, um, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body. The broader application is the importance of the church as the place that peace is preserved and promoted in us as we do life together. We're called to this. This was God's plan from the beginning, that we do life together and that we learn to fine-tune this peace of Christ together as you hold me accountable and admonish me in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I do the same thing with you. This should be happening at home in a smaller setting. It should be happening in a family of God in a larger setting. Does that make sense? So that's the place of peace. It's our hearts. And I think a lot of times we give a lot of negative opinions to our, our feelings and emotions. And, and it's true, feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. But this peace of God is different, isn't it? And we need to let that rule. So when we're doing something and we know it's wrong or we're not sure if it's wrong, we judge it by the peace. Am I, do I have peace about this or do I not? Now, how many of you know you can manufacture your own peace, right? Uh, I remember many years ago, I had a, a neighbor of mine that I, I, they were living together and they, and they both made a profession of faith and got baptized and got married. So good. And about six months later, I look over and some other guy's coming out the door. So I went over there and knocked on the door. I said, who's that? She goes, oh, that's my boyfriend. I said, where's Mike? I said, oh, he's living down the road. I said, really? I said, you're a follower of Christ. You got no business 
kicking your husband to the road and bringing some other guy in here. And here's what she said to me. She said, I prayed about it and I have, ready for this, peace. God's given me peace about this. Now, I was young. Had a lot more energy then than I do now. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. I completely believe you have peace. But what I question is where it's coming from. Because how many of you know Satan is an angel of light? And he's, he can try to manufacture. All he can do is try to manufacture and steal and, uh, what God has given. I had no doubt that woman had peace. You could talk yourself into peace, but it's not the peace of God. Amen? You can deceive yourself into peace, but that is not the peace of God. And we need to remember that. So let's talk about this practice of peace in verse 16. That word dwell, like I said, means to be at home in your heart. Let's look at how it's supposed to work. The practice of peace, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you how, church? Richly. Now, when I say richly, what, what, what comes to mind? Abundantly, right? There's a lot of it. Someone that's rich has a lot of what? Money or wealth or whatever. So this means abundantly. This word of Christ, abounding, overflowing, filling, and saturating the saint. So, so the word of God isn't just supposed to, supposed to have a few key verses in our back pocket. It's supposed to do what? It's supposed to fill us up. It's supposed to be full of the word of God. And, and it's supposed to be so at home in our heart. Have you ever met these people like this? That they're, they're literally, they are so full of God's word. They're like a walking Bible. Right? And, and no matter what situation you're in, they got a verse that's just coming to their mind. I love that. We need to be like that. And as, and as parents, we need, to be, we need to be pouring the Word of God into the hearts of our children. Amen? You say, well, my kids aren't believers yet. Well, by the grace of God, one day they will be. And they're gonna, those verses will still come up. They'll just mean a lot more when those kids are saved. Amen? They'll start to love. I tell my little Jack all the time. I know, I know church is not your fun thing right now, but when God changes your heart, you're going to love it. And in the meantime, you're going to go and you're going to behave yourself. And right now, I want to pour God's word into his heart because, because I, want, I want that to richly abound in him when he learns to love God by faith. Notice this, richly, but then it says this, in all wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Yeah, it's the application of knowledge. Information is one thing. That's just knowing something, right? That's just getting the knowledge of something. Um, knowledge might go deeper in knowing what's behind the information, how it works. But you know what wisdom is? Wisdom isn't just knowing how to do something and knowing how that something works. Wisdom is knowing when to do it and how to do it. Right? It's the wise application. How do you get wise? By practicing. So we need to let this word of Christ abound in us in all what? Wisdom. And all wisdom. Regular practice and application of the word of Christ in everyday life and relationships. And by the way, put a little pin in this, but, but in the next section, Paul is going to give us a YBH, yeah, but how, the practical YBH of, of this wisdom by expounding upon our roles. What does it look like 
to let the peace of Christ rule in my life as a wife. Ladies, what does it look like, men, for the peace of Christ to rule in my life as a husband and as a father? What does it look like for the peace of Christ to rule in my life as a business owner? What does it look like to have the peace of Christ rule in my life as an employee? And he's going to unpack that in very practical, everyday terms. It's this practice of wisdom. The next one is the person of peace, and we're almost through, but it's in verse 17. Paul says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of who, church? The Lord Jesus. That's the person of peace. He is called in other places the Prince of Peace. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I've said this before. Some of you have not heard it because you're fairly new with us. But it goes back to that 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive. And when we're in those situations, try this the next time. God's going to probably give you an opportunity to do this before the day is out. Maybe even on your ride home. I don't know. But try it. The next time you're in that situation, right, and you're just going to react instead of respond. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Just say this. Here's what I'm fixing to do. And just say it out loud. I'm going to do blank, right? I'm, I'm going to let my son have it. Tell him exactly what he did wrong and make sure he knows I'm good and mad with him. And then do this, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of who? The Lord Jesus. Then do this, and I'm going to do all of that in Jesus' name. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. We ought to make a practice of this in our everyday life. I'm going to sit that wife of mine down, and I'm going to tell her exactly what she's doing wrong in Jesus' name. How's that feel? I'm going to tell you something. If you're not a Christian, that's not going to change you one bit and not going to help you one bit. What you need is Jesus. But if you are a believer and a saint and follower of God, you get yourself ready to respond in the flesh and you add in Jesus' name to it, if that is not of Christ, and believe me, the Word of Christ is going to bubble up inside of you and confront that. And Christ himself, you are literally taking that and giving it back to Christ by adding his name to it. You're saying, you're giving it to Christ and saying, I'm going to make this bow to your authority. And if it is not of God, it is going to be like nails on a chalkboard. It is going to grate against your spirit. The inner you is going to say, oh, that, I don't know about that is not right. And then put it away and replace it with what is righteous. That's what it means here. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take those thoughts captive in Jesus' name. And this is the last one, but it's so vitally important. And I want you to hear this. The, the preservation of peace. I save this for last because it comes last in verse 15. And it also comes last in verse 17. Look at verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Christ. Back up in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ, or let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Look at this. This is so weird. It seems like just a quick addition. And 
Be what, church? Thankful. Thankful. So he begins and ends this little um, polemic on peace with the idea of thanksgiving because thanksgiving is the preservation of peace. Peace and thankfulness are the twin fruit of love. We need to be thankful. And how does being thankful help change our minds? How does being thankful allow the peace of Christ to rule in our lives? I think it is a trust in a sovereign king who controls all things. And I think that fuels a thankfulness and a peace that the world cannot understand. I'm going to say this, and I'm telling you what, it amazes me. Y'all have been there. Some of you live long enough to see this. But I've been a pastor long enough to see it. When life goes south and a rug gets pulled out from under, bad, basically when really bad stuff happens, it amazes me that everyone gravitates to the sovereignty of God. But in everyday life, it's offensive to us. <laughs> we talked about it in our D group this morning. What is so offensive about God being in control of everything? There's a lot offensive about that to the flesh. Right? Listen, understanding a sovereign God. Here's what, here's what I mean by that. Um, I had a situation this morning. I blew it, by the way. And had to go repent and come back and try to fix it. That a person in my house did something really um, without thinking. And that's when I came to realize it was, it was done thoughtlessly, not on purpose. But all I saw was the result. And I assumed intent. Y'all tracking what I'm saying? So I, I saw the result and I thought, you met, what were you, here's it, what were you thinking? And then, yes, you do hear that a lot, Ben, and I'm talking about you. <laughs> so I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you what happened. I'm going to tell on Ben, but I'm really telling on me. So I'm getting ready to leave this morning, and, I, and uh, little Joseph stayed over, which that was a blast. I loved having him at Jodrew's house for the night. And so there, he and Jack are playing hide-and-seek. It's the cutest thing you ever saw. So he, he's looking for Jack at the, at the back of the front end of our house. And so I walk over there to help him, and I can't see anyway. But I looked down and I said, what? We have a dark floor. I said, what in the world? What are all the white spots all over the floor? And it hit me. Because he come, come home yesterday from Dollar General with a pack of sunflower seeds. It was sunflower seed shells. And just like you're at the ball game, you bite them things off, what do you do? You spin them on the floor. That's what he did. But what I know, and it angered me, because I thought, you're disrespecting my house? You do this indoors? What were you thinking? And my father's favorite term for me, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I had a, if I had a dollar for every time my dad asked what's wrong with me, I would be retired in Tahiti. <laughs> what's the matter with you? Um, and oh, I, I was not happy, was I? Oh, I wasn't. So I, I left. I said, I, I left. And I, and, I, and I don't know how, but I got to, oh, I came back. And Elizabeth and I talked. And she said, I know that kid. I know that young man. He, he did that absolutely, he was not thinking. He was sitting at the computer, watching fishing videos, not giving it a second thought. It was not done with intention. Right? So, how should I have handled that? 
with thankfulness. The first time. You know, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you allowed my son to spit his sunflower seeds on the floor. Because I know what's going on there. It really, it, and my wife is 100% correct because she'll tell me the truth if I'm right or wrong. And you have to know the backstory to, to some of what we're dealing with here, but it's truly not intentional. It was, it was a non-thinking moment, never crossed his mind. There's reasons for that. And I should have said, God, thank you, because this is an opportunity for me to bring something to his attention and let him know that no matter what happens, on purpose or not, his dad's always in his corner. And that's not exactly what happened this morning, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. But that thankfulness restores and promotes and keeps the peace of God in our hearts. John 14, 27. Jesus said this, Peace I leave you with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be what? Afraid. Thankful people are peaceful people. Are you thankful? Are you peaceful? You have peace with God. Then the peace of God will govern your life. You'll have nails on a chalkboard when you're off. You'll have the blessed, glorious, sweet, warm embrace of the Holy Spirit when you're on. Sometimes when you're on, you've got to do hard things. But you have, the, you have that. I hope you've experienced it. I want to close with this. I read this recently about a martyr who was fastened to the stake, getting ready to be burned alive for his faith in Christ. Hard to imagine, isn't it? It is said that the executioner who was to light the fire beneath his feet was sweating, nervous, and visibly shaken at the terrible task before him. This saint, about to die, was still as calm as he could be. The disciple of Christ said this to the executioner. Listen to these words. With your hand, feel my heart. His heart could barely be felt as he knew the peace of God that passed all comprehension. Then he said, put your hand on your own heart. And the executioner put his hand on his own heart and it was beating like a drum. This follower of Christ then said this, do not pity me, for I shall now go to be with my Lord. This is my wedding day. I shall be joined to my head. Pity yourself, who knows no peace. And when you die, you will go to an entirely different place. We have that peace. Does it rule us like it did this saint Put your hand on your own heart this morning. Do you have that peace? If you know Christ, you will know his peace. Paul says we are to allow that peace to be God's umpire, to bring about the fruit of the righteousness of Christ in our life.
So three questions and we're done. Do you have this peace? Do you have it? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know this peace. Jesus came and he claimed that the kingdom was here, came with him. He, and he said, here's your response. You repent of your sin and you believe in me. You put your faith in me and then follow me. That's the gospel. Kingdom's here. Repent and believe it. And follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you here have not done that, but you can do that today. You can do that right now before I finish this sermon in about 30 seconds. You don't need to wait for me. God's speaking to your heart. Follow him. Own your sin. Said, yeah, that's me. I'm a mess. And I did all that. And I turn away from it and I receive the forgiveness that comes through Christ. I believe that he died, was buried, rose again in my place, and I rose again with him. And right now I'm seated at your right hand. And I want to, I want to be a part of expanding your kingdom by following Christ every day of my life and letting this peace be the umpire to call balls and strikes in my life. Saint, are you allowing this peace to rule your life? Are you? Are you letting the peace of God call the shots in your life? Or has it been so long since you've really known that peace that you've learned to live without it quite comfortably? There's some repentance that needs to take place over that. Paul assumes we got it. And then he, he admonishes us to use it. Let the peace of Christ tell you what's right and wrong. And stop fighting it. Start cooperating with the spirit within you. And then lastly, and I didn't mention this much, but I just want to mention it here at the end. We're to admonish each other with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing in our hearts with grace to the Lord. Are you pumping up the peace with Christ exalting, man-debasing music? And are you memorizing God's Word? Now I just want to say something about that. What you're putting into your ears, don't you think, is not affecting your, your spirit? I'm not a legalist, but here's what I know from experience. We need to be putting into the inputs of our life music that exalts Christ and puts man in his place. Amen? We don't need to be listening to the junk of this world. Some of it's harmless. Most of it's not. And at a minimum, it's numbing. And at worst, it is a direct affront to King Jesus. Why do we call ourselves Christians and listen to that garbage? Got no right. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God and your members which are His. Your ears are your members. They don't belong to you. They belong to Him. Put in your mind and your heart and your soul that which exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't listen to a lot of music. But when I do, I listen to music that exalts Christ and lets me know who I am. One of my, I, was, I shared a song with Wes this week. Two songs, actually, from... Uh, a group called August Rain. I'd encourage you to go look them up. But one, one song is American Jesus. It's a great song. It says, this is what we've done with Jesus. We've Americanized him. But he's not the real Jesus. And the other one is called Nothing. It's, that's my favorite song. It says, basically, 
Uh, my salvation had nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. And uh, why? I need to hear that. I need to be reminded that I can't make Jesus into an American Jesus and that by God's grace and God's grace alone, I am what I am. And that God did it. And I'm just the recipient of such a glorious gift. And having that come through my ear gate, and I could sit there and listen to that with Wes together and we could be edified. We need to be careful what we're allowing through the eye and the ear gate because it belongs to God. And are you memorizing God's Word? How much of God's Word do you have memorized? If you got $10 for every verse that you could quote right now, would you have enough to go buy lunch for your family? Fair enough question. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So at the end of the day, it's God's peace, your umpire. Paul says that's the expectation, and we're to allow that to happen. And I've given you the things that we can do to embolden that and to pump that up in our lives. Wouldn't we be wise to set about doing that today? May God, in His graciousness, allow us to do so. I'm going to pray right now, and as I do, I want you to prepare your hearts for communion. Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a second, and then we're going to have a fellowship meal together. But let me pray, and as I do, I want you to pray. And maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Maybe you want this peace and you're trying to get it every which way you can, except the only way it comes, and that's through a relationship with God through Christ. You need to repent and believe the gospel right now and realize that God is going to empower you with the desire to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, put you in a church family that's going to help you do that. That's what we're here for. That needs to be your prayer. You need to confess Christ. Maybe you need to learn to live letting God's peace be your umpire. It's been a long time since that's happened. Let's let God search our hearts. Make sure our relationship with each other is good and we can celebrate these elements together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name thanking you for all that Jesus has done. Thanking you for this peace that passes all understanding. Thank you that as we put on love, it completes us and it creates this calmness, this peace that Jesus came to give. And Lord, teach us to let that peace be the umpire. That we might live well, sensitively, passionately for your glory. As we break open these elements, Lord, would you help us to, to remember, remember that event that brought about the transformation of our life. And may we, as began and ended with our verses today, may we be thankful. May we be thankful. May we look to Jesus. May we trust Him. And may His Word abound in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let me have our musicians come. Um, we're going to introduce kind of a new song as the elements are, are
open this morning, and it's going to be our song for the month for May. Um, a great song. It's called All I Have is Christ. I love this song. The words will come up so you can join us. Real quick, um, if you're here with us, it's your first time, you've never been, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been baptized and are walking in fellowship with Him, then join us. If none of those, if you can't say yes to those things and, or you're not sure, just, just sit where you are, you know, that's okay. Watch what's going on here. We love you. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Um, and and at the next time we do this, which by the way is the first Sunday of every month, and uh, we're back on our schedule now. So the first Sunday of the month we'll have communion followed by fellowship meal. I forgot to announce that last week, so I did try to reach out to folks and let them know. Don't worry about not partaking. I'd rather you not partake than partake in a way that would not bring Christ's glory. So keep that in mind. Um, so as we begin to sing here, uh, I'm going to invite you all to come. And we'll start up here, and uh, you come get your elements, and then go ahead and be seated. And hold on to them, and we'll take them all together. And don't think a thing about just sitting where you are, not, not partaking if you're not where you need to be. And if uh, you're not walking with the Lord yet, use that time for God to search your heart. So I'm going to invite these guys to come, and we'll, we'll start with this new song for the month of May, All I Have is Christ. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life, oh listen, had led me to the grave, I had no hope that you would own a rebel too. to the cross you looked upon my helpless state and you led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me now all I know Never come from 
says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body given for you he bore our sins in that body on a tree and he died so we could come to the end of ourselves and the law be given the spirit and serve in the the spirit instead of the deadness of of the letter amen you are no longer sinners you're saints because our sins were born in his body we resurrected with Christ, live historically as the new you. We remember that through the body of Christ. After the meal, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. The shedding of blood, there's no remission. May we remember what our sin cost and how much God loves us through the blood of His only begotten Son and inestimable value that He might redeem us for His own glory. We drink and remember. Would you stand and join me? Speaking of peace, as we sing an old, old song about peace. 
written by a man who knew what he was talking about. It is well with my soul. And when the peace of Christ rules in your heart, it is well with your soul. Amen? Let's sing this together. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows
It's not well with your soul. And you might have deceived yourself into some weird state, but I promise you, life's going to knock that out. But I promise you, when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that peace that passes all understanding doesn't even make sense to you, is yours. And we need to let that peace be God's umpire to rule right and wrong, in and out, balls and strikes in our life, and learn to live in the ungrieved flow of God's Holy Spirit. Amen, saints? Amen. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the food. We'd love for you to join us next door. And I, uh, forgive me for not announcing that last week. We're trying to get back on our schedule, and I myself forgot. So if you'll pardon me there. Uh, let's ask God to bless this food, and let's enjoy some time together here in just a moment. Father, we come to you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for the peace. Help us to not take that for granted. Help us to never get comfortable living without it. But instead, Lord, let us be motivated, moved, directed, guided, overruled by your peace and not give it up for anything. May the word of Christ truly dwell in us richly. May we fill our ears with Christ-exalting, God-honoring music and not, not anything that exalts man. And Lord, may your word find its home in our heart so that sin would be unwelcome there. Pray that you bless this food. I pray that you bless the fellowship, and that uh, we would we would practice uh, what heaven's going to be like together as we break bread. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.